Hello and welcome to this Lumen Verum Apologetics Lecture by Anthony English on the topic Blessed Bartolo Longo, From Priest of Satan to Apostle of the Rosary. This June 2009 recording comes from one of Lumen Verum's Friday Evening Apologetics Lectures at St. Michael the Archangel Parish in Belfield. Anthony English is a regular speaker at Lumen Verum. Delighted to be back again, and I should point out, first of all, that I am not a satanic priest myself, in case, <laughs> so I hope you're not disappointed. And uh, I had not actually heard of uh, Blessed Bartolo Longo until 2002, when Pope John Paul II issued his encyclical on the Rosary. It was the 25th year of his pontificate. And uh, and in this encyclical, I was uh, I was uh, struck that he quoted so enthusiastically a saint or a blessed who I had never heard of, and uh, not that he, Pope John Paul, necessarily had to ring me up and ask me you know who he should be quoting in his encyclicals, but I was surprised. I was expecting certainly to be, uh, speaking about Saint Dominic and Saint Catherine of Siena and. I said Louis de Montfort, but, uh, uh, but he was speaking about Blessed Bartolo Longo quite, quite at length. I think there are four passages in that encyclical where he refers to, to uh, this Blessed. So it got me, got me fascinated. And I don't know if any of you had uh, heard of Bartolo Longo at any length, uh, but uh, he was... Uh, yeah, but he's not too well known in the English-speaking world. That's in Italy, especially in Pompeii, he's uh, very, very well known. And Bartolo, Bartholomew, uh, was the son of a physician, very well, uh, well, a well-off family, and very devout, devout parents, a very devout family. In fact, they prayed the rosary every day. And so... Uh, he was given a good education as well. His parents could afford that, and so he was he was given a good education, both a secular education as well as, of course, a Christian education. And so, raised in a pious family, and so you would think, well, things are looking pretty good for someone like him to be getting to heaven, to become a blessed. His parents did all that they could to get him into uh, onto the, the right path in life, both uh, in the natural level and the supernatural level. As I say, they prayed the rosary every night. He was an excellent student and uh, a very gifted man. And that's very interesting when we see the saints. We see that uh, some of them certainly seem to be not very gifted in terms of human talents. And that gives us courage if, if we're not especially strong in <laughs> human talents because it's grace that makes the saint. There was one little girl in France who was, uh, who was canonized. She didn't even know the Our Father. She was made a saint. She was so illiterate, and she had not even learnt the whole of the Our Father. They asked her, well, how do you pray? And she said, well, I say Our Father, and then I think how God is my Father, and, uh, and how I love him, and so And she didn't even know all of the words of the Lord's Prayer. And you can be really struck by the ignorance sometimes that people have. Well, uh, Bartolo Longo was not like that. He was an excellent student. He was skilled in literature. His father taught him literature. Oratory as well, so he was a great speaker. Fencing, and we have a fencing expert here tonight, but I won't embarrass her. And uh, dancing, music, and other arts. He could play the flute and the piano. So a very gifted, a very accomplished man. And uh, uh, he even directed a school band. So you could see that he was a leader. He was going to be a leader in life in uh, some way. Uh, unfortunately, his, his mother, who was a very devout woman, uh, died at age when he was aged uh, 10. And as a result of that and the sufferings that he went through, uh, as a result of that, he started to, to lose his faith, lost con contact with prayer, 
lost, lost contact with God. And uh, he, he was known to be restless and he had difficulty sitting through classes. He did study law at the University of Naples and then he graduated, so he was a lawyer as well. But uh, as we know, university life is not always the, uh, the best thing for our souls. And uh, he fell into a very worldly uh, a very worldly life and um, things all started to fall apart when he studied philosophy under a priest or an ex-priest who uh, turned him against the faith. As we know in Italy uh, that was really the a hotbed of uh, the Masonic movement and a lot of anti, anti-clerical activity especially in the 19th uh, century and so uh, Bartolo got caught up in this. There were there was even a protest. There were there was ridicule of the church, such as we see today, so so often in so-called comedy shows and uh, in certain media outlets where they deliberately misrepresent uh, the the church in the most uh, aggressive way. And uh, and then he moved from indifference to his faith, uh, actually to open hostility. And one commentator says that he was the actual leader of the of the hostile action against the church. He even led. A, he was even part of a protest against the Pope in street demonstrations against the Pope. And uh, in this uh, atmosphere, where you've got the faith is struggling on the one hand, but then fallen human nature and even demonic influences on the other. Uh, started to attract him. First in a small way, he he was contacting, he got involved with, started dabbling in things like magnetism, um, spiritualism, or spiritism sometimes called, uh, tipping tables, don't know if you've seen that, anyway, hopefully you haven't seen it. <laughs> yes, there were seances as well, we'll have a comment about that a bit later. And contacting the spirit world through mediums. Now, I know when I was growing up, and I suppose that was a while ago, I'm older than I look, but uh, when I was growing up, I uh, remember that when there were things like horoscopes or fortune tellers and so on, it was always regarded as a, something, a, a joke, or for people who were you know, eccentric and lonely old ladies who had really lost their... You know, just had no direction in life, and that's all that they would, you know, that's that's what they put their hope in. But it was nothing that would be taken seriously by anybody, uh, really. But um, but uh, today, look at it. How many how many people get involved, go to a medium, and maybe they lose a the child, and then so many people will come up and tell them, look, I know how you can contact this child, so on. And uh, and these days, when people are so lost, you see it in the in the uh, the advertising for the gossip magazines and so on. That these things are given such credibility and such prestige that uh, it can be for somebody who's got no direction at all. You can see how they might feel the attraction, so they've got some certainty of what the future is going to hold, some sort of hope, some sort of vague hope, even though it's all lies, falsehoods. Well, Bartolo got involved with this as well. Then things went worse because he was the sort of man who was, when he got into something, he followed it right through, followed it right through to the end. We saw that in his earlier life with his uh, with his talents, his many talents, his oratory and music and so on. Well, he uh, and we see that in many other saints. You look at Saint Paul. Just the reading at Mass today was that uh, St. Paul, his intention was to destroy the church, was to wipe it out completely. And uh, and then when, uh, uh, and, uh, uh, what, was the, what was the name of the Christian who had the revelation from God, who told him, go to the certain house in Straight Street and uh, you'll meet Saul. And this fellow, what was his name? Not Ananias? Hmm? 
in the night. Yeah. Uh, he was, he, he actually said he had this revelation from God. And then he started telling God, well, God, don't you know, Lord, <laughs> this is the man all I've heard about this guy in bad news. He's coming to destroy us. He's coming to wipe us out. And uh, oh, it's a fair objection. <laughs> Are you sure I've got the message right here? Are you sure that this is the man that you want me to go and, and meet up? Because uh, I might get arrested as well, and so might anybody who comes with me. And uh, Lord said, yeah, look, I, I've heard the news. I happen to know that uh, Saul is, uh, uh, yes, but don't worry, this man is going to be, he's going to suffer a great deal for me. See that Saul, he carried things right through in hostility to the church and then for the church, even to the point of martyrdom. St. Augustine is another example. Augustine couldn't settle for being mediocre. He had to be very strong, neither hot nor cold, as the uh, book of Revelation uh, warns us. He was neither hot nor cold, Augustine. He, he was leading a, a very wild life. And then, uh, he, especially in the area of chastity, and even worse than that, he was caught up in uh, uh, with the Manichees, who, who said that there was a good God and an evil God. That's how you explain evil in the world. And uh, we, we have to pay our dues to the evil God as well. He's the God of bodies and of matter. So it doesn't really matter what we do with our bodies because it's the spiritual God. That's the important thing. And anything that happens in our bodies... Doesn't, doesn't matter. So they got involved in all sorts of uh, filthy things with their bodies. And, uh, and Augustine used to pray. He knew that, that was the wrong path in a way. He used to pray, Lord, give me chastity, but not yet. Well, it's not a very good prayer. <laughs> now, when Augustine converted, he really converted. He still had temptations. And... Uh, but his conversion was a great one. He was a he became a, a bishop, a great saint, and one of the greatest of the church fathers. Well, Bartolo Longo was the same. He, uh, after dabbling in this, he finally became a Satanist himself. So, actually, worshiping the devil as if he was God, and and then, with some further study, he became a satanic priest. It's a terrible, a terrible tragedy that uh, somebody should should be so far lost and um, doing all sorts of uh, sacramental rites, mockeries of the sacraments and the mass and so on. Perhaps um, blasphemies against the Eucharist. And uh, now the interesting thing is if we think of ourselves in that situation and we think of the people, the many people that we're all praying for in our families, among our friends and neighbours, whoever, who we think are just so totally lost. What did his friends do? What did his family do? We said that he was from a devout family. His father was also a very devout man. And uh, what did they do? Well, they did two things. One was that they prayed. They were faithful to prayer when he had abandoned prayer. But the other thing that they did was they pecked away at him, at his Satanism, trying to undo the mess that he was in. Now, he, he himself went through periods of great nervousness and depression because mixing up uh, with Satan, mixing up with the devil is not a way to have peace, not psychological peace, not to have peace of heart, spiritual peace in any way at all. And so they refused to give up on him they were praying for his return to the faith and, uh, and they were pecking away at his interest in Satan. And finally, there was a respected professor from his hometown who convinced him to turn from the occult, turn from these uh, evil deeds. And, and then a Dominican friar named Father Albert can, uh, guided him through his return to the church and uh, really brought him back to the faith. Now, that is just a remarkable story in itself, that he should have gone from being a, a Satanist to becoming, in fact, a, a member, a third order uh, member of the Dominicans. 
Now, uh, what um, Bartolo Longa did was he finally recovered his senses and his faith and became a Dominican tertiary in 1871. So that was a period of about, uh, uh, let's see, seven, uh, yeah, about seven years that he was, uh, that he, that led him through into, into Satanism and then back into his conversion to the faith. Now, you might think that it's all, all roses from that point on, but not at all. He, uh, he still had a lot to, to suffer. Uh, he really wanted to do something to make reparation for his apostasy. Apostasy is rejecting all of the truths of the faith, which he did in mocking, mocking the church and, and uh, in, in all sorts of uh, gruesome ways. Uh, heresy is not that. Heresy is when we deny or we decide to pick and choose which truths of the faith we want to, we want to hold. Oh yes, I believe that uh, Christ is God, but but uh, I don't believe that he founded a church. Well, it means you don't believe that Christ is God, really, because it's just your opinion. Because uh, if Jesus was God, and if he said, on this rock I will build my church, well, that's God speaking. If you say that God is God, and then on the other hand, he didn't really build his church, well, then he's a liar, he's not God. Heresy is picking and choosing what, what it is that we want to believe, but apostasy is rejection of the whole faith, whole and entire. And uh, and when you think of the damage that he did, or when he, he thought of, when Bartholomew thought of the damage that he did in leading so many people astray, maybe he was walking down the street and he saw somebody who was, who was still, he knew, was mixed up in the satanic, maybe somebody he had even recruited into the satanic cult. And he might have seen that person again. He thought, oh, what can I do? He, need, he felt the great need to make reparation for these, uh, the terrible crimes that he himself had been involved in. And so uh, Father Albert, who was obviously a very, very wise man, very wise director, uh, didn't just leave it with, okay, you've made a good confession, now go say three Hail Marys and and you know, don't let it trouble you anymore. He realised that this was, he was a very gifted man, a man who had to use his energies. He couldn't just, nature abhors a vacuum, he couldn't just leave him just sitting there, okay, now get on with your life, whatever it is that you're doing. And so he directed him to working f uh, with a group of lay people working for the poor. And uh, that was a very, very wise, wise way to, to direct him. Often we find for example, with uh, uh, well, with certain sins. For example, say the the sin of chastity, uh, sin against chastity. People might uh, 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 it might be there might be a hidden cause there. There might be a profound loneliness or something that needs to be addressed. Somebody falling in that way, or or heavy drinking, binge drinking, for example. You know, what are they escaping from? Um, Anyway, Father Albert saw that. He saw that need. So he directed uh, Bartolo to, to starting to work with this group, working for the poor. Now, just have a little aside here that in Spain, uh, this is in Italy, of course, but in Spain, in Spanish they have a, uh, a saying which goes, um, Padre Santo, Hijo Diablo, which means literally, uh, a saintly father, the son is a devil. <laughs> now, there's actually quite a lot of theology in that. It might sound very, very negative kind of uh, uh, saying, but what it means is that the, that grace is a gift from God. We can do what we do. Uh, parents can do a great, uh, a great deal to to help their children in all sorts of ways, pray for them, lead by a good example educate them in the right way, especially in the ways of the faith. But grace itself is a gift from God. Just because the, the parents are saints doesn't mean the children are. And, and so too it follows the other way. Sometimes, we've, we've often seen, I've often met young people who have uh, come to the faith or come back to the faith and who are praying for their parents to do the same. You frequently meet people 
in that situation today. And uh, some of them have the courage to discuss this at home and sometimes the uh, conversations it would be very, very enlightening to be part of. Maybe there's a bit of lightning and a bit of thunder, I think, but, uh, uh, but people, and they gradually, one by one, through their prayers, through their example, they, they bring them back. It's very encouraging. But it doesn't necessarily follow that if the parents are saints, then the children are going to be saints. Uh, if that was the case, we wouldn't baptise them. We'd never baptise children, would we? <laughs> the children of saints would be, <laughs> they wouldn't be born in original sin for starters. But we still, we do baptise them. And we have to bring them up in the faith as well. Well, uh, a very interesting thing that um, Bartolo Longo did, because he, in, the, in his time, there was, it was very fashionable amongst uh, so-called uh, criminologists, uh, people who used to study study crime and how to how to stop people getting into crime, and they had this uh, sense of fatalism. Your parents are criminals. Your dad's in prison. It's over for you. You're going to end up in prison. And uh, well, we should never uh, discourage people in that sense, because it it certainly doesn't necessarily follow. There was. Uh, there was a, a man who led a very holy life, a priest who led a very, very holy life. And when he died, after he died, they did an investigation into his cause for canonization. And the cause was ruled out on the basis of one thing. When he was hearing, uh, he was trying to encourage a, um, uh, there was a, a, a sinner, he was encouraging, back, encouraging him back to the faith and uh, to try and repent as he was dying. And the sinner said no, he was quite resistant to the grace of God and the priest got frustrated and he said, well, if you want to be damned, then be damned. And on that grounds alone, he was ruled out for canonization. They said that was a sin against hope, against the virtue of hope, to write people off, especially for a confessor. Probably just frustrated at the time, but <laughs> anyway, there we are. I wasn't a saint. I wasn't found to be a saint anyway. Uh, so, um, so what Bartolo Longa did was he formed a, a, a what's called a trade school for um, there weren't any government-run trade schools at the time, uh, TAFEs or anything, especially for the children of prisoners to try and give them a chance to to make a go at life. Not just to keep them off the streets, but to get them to earn some money, to take some responsibility for their lives and so on. And all the time he was doing this, he did this also with orphans. He was, uh, he was teaching them, and of course teaching them on the faith. He, he went through this very, very great time of trial and suffering, even to the point of facing despair, temptations to despair. Now, despair is not the same thing as, de as depression. It's not just feeling, feeling down or waking up in a bad mood. Uh, despair is, is a sin against the virtue of hope. By the virtue of hope, of course, as we know, it's one of the three theological virtues, faith, hope, and charity. And uh, the virtue of hope makes us trust in the almighty power of God that he will lead us to salvation and give us all of the means that we need. That's why we can't write anybody off, including ourselves. That's the sin of despair, is to say, I'm damned. I'm not even going to bother confessing my sins. I'm not even going to bother repenting, because I'm only going to fall again. I'm, I'm too bad. My, my sins are too great for God, for God to forgive. He would never forgive me. It's putting limits on God's mercy. And if there's anything that we learn from the story of Bartolo Longo, it's that it's I think the great virtue of hope. Because I don't know how many of us have uh, friends or family or children who are satanic priests. Hopefully, not too many of us. I won't get a show of hands. But uh, you know, Bartolo Longo got such a devotion, got such a temptation that what he did was. Uh, 
he thought that because of the wickedness of his own life, because of the things that he had got so deeply involved in, such evil, evil things, he thought that he was lost. And he thought that he would never really feel the forgiveness of God. Even though he had confessed and had received the absolution, was still, the devil was still attacking him. Probably the devil was attacking him even more because he was still, because now he was starting to do good work and work against the devil. And, uh, and so what he did was uh, he, he felt this tremendous temptation. By this time his father had died and he felt this uh, terrible temptation to despair and even had decided that he was going to take his own life. It would have been a terrible, terrible tragedy that he had uh, first lost his soul through Satanism and then repented and then lost his soul again through knowingly and willingly, willfully taking his own life uh, and uh, d denying that great gift of God that he, he had been given and denying the, the gift of the faith and grace and the gift of repentance. Now, when he was at the point of taking his own life, his father, his father appeared to him, or he heard his father anyway, say to him, come back. Come back, my son. Come back. Time to repent. Again, trust in God's mercy. And so it's a very encouraging story of God's mercy. Because at that moment, he had a flash, a, a, a kind of an illumination from God. And it said, whoever propagates the rosary will certainly be saved. And that changed his whole life and the, and the lives of hundreds of thousands of others. Whoever propagates the rosary, whoever promotes it, will be saved. And at that moment, he made a promise that he himself would promote the holy rosary and before he died. And so... Uh, Mm. Did you say he heard the voice of his own father? Or? Yeah, he heard his father's voice. His father, had died his father had died, but he heard his heard his father just maybe remembered his father saying saying to him whatever. We're not sure of the details of of it, uh, but um, so so what he did was he thought, well, how am I going to promote the rosary here? How am I going to do this with the poor people, with the orphans that I'm working with, with these uh, children of prisoners? What am I going to do? And so he decided to establish a shrine of Our Lady of the Rosary. Now he went to look for a, for a, a painting uh, for the for the shrine. He um, and uh, there was a painting that had been been thrown thrown out, really been discarded, and it was quite damaged. It was a painting of Our Lady of the Rosary with uh, Saint uh, Catherine of Siena, great Dominican saint. I think St. Dominic there as well, to whom the rosary was revealed. And, uh, and so he, he took that painting, but he wasn't, he wasn't that keen on it. It had been damaged, as I say. And, uh, and there was a, a nun there, Mother Conchetta, and she said to him, take this, take this painting. Uh, there will be many miracles will work, be worked through it. So, so he did. So you see that he did three things. He, first, he did the catechesis. Uh, so he wrote he wrote books and pamphlets and gave conferences on the mysteries of Christ's life and on devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary. But then he also wanted to appeal to the, the people's love for beauty, because he saw that there was uh, among the people there was this need. There is man is sacramental. We have this, and then because we're made of soul and body. We have to have bodily signs. That's what the sacraments are, aren't they? They're visible signs of invisible grace instituted by Christ. They're visible signs because we're visible. We can't see the grace pouring into the soul of the child being baptised, but we can see the water, and we know what water does. We know that that washes. We can hear the words of the priest or the deacon, or whoever's baptizing, we can hear those words, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And uh, and so that's the way that, because God can't show us grace, he shows us through physical signs. 
Uh, same with all, all of the sacraments. And same with sacramentals. Now, sacramentals are not sacraments themselves, not instituted by Christ, but they are things which remind us, things which we might make use of, holy pictures, rosary beads, uh, uh, statues, uh, things which remind us, which direct us to God, which will remind us of God. And through the good use of them, they elevate us to God, and we receive grace through good use of these sacramentals. And uh, and because man is uh, so sacramental, if we take away, if you take away from a church all of the all of the beautiful the beautiful things inside the church, what happens? They leave the church bare, and what happens? They never leave it there. They'll invent some new sacramentals. There'll be banners and paintings and drawings from children and so on, they put them up instead. Because there is this instinct in us that if we ourselves, if the church loses sight, not the church herself, but if people in the church lose sight of this uh, sacramental uh, fact of, of human nature, the world will remind us. The world will take up its own banners, its own, okay, when once we stop lighting candles, well then the world will have its own candles for Earth Hour or whatever the current liturgical feast is. And, uh, and so, so Bartolo realised, recognised that uh, these, these uh, sacramentals that we had, that man had this need for this. So that's why he got the painting, uh, for the love of beauty. And then in the practical sphere, he also founded many charitable institutions, which we've spoken about, the orphanage, the trade school. And then he said, well, who's going to run the trade school? Who's going to staff it? So he founded a congregation of sisters. And you imagine going up to your, to your, to your daughters and saying, look, I'd like you to join this um, ex-satanic priest. Uh, I'd like you to join his <laughs> religious order. <laughs> he recruited them. Somehow he got them. And, uh, and they formed this, uh, this congregation of sisters. Now, he saw... Uh, and so he, he built this, uh, this shrine. And people started to come. They especially started to come when there was a miracle. He, he, he told people, he told this, uh, there was this girl, the doctors had said she was just going to die. Uh, there was nothing that they could do. And uh, we, we don't know the details of uh, the disease, but uh, her case was hopeless. And uh, he told her to pray a novena of uh, 27, 27 days of rosaries. And uh, actually, I think it was 27 days of rosaries in supplication in asking God and then 27 days of thanksgiving and uh, and uh, on the, the I think in the middle of that uh, uh, that novena as we call it in very rough terms in the middle of that uh, she was she was miraculously healed and so people heard news of this and then they started coming to to uh, to Pompeii he went into Pompeii as, an, as a lawyer and came out as an apostle, an apostle of the rosary. And uh, But he, he was still seeing the spiritism around and the seances and the... Uh, you know, one day he went to a seance. This is well after his conversion. He went to a seance. Don't try this at home, by the way. He went to a seance and he held up his rosary and he said, I renounce spiritualism. It's uh, Satanism because it is nothing but a maze of error and falsehood. Now he had been there. Uh, now that must have taken tremendous courage because it might have been some of his former followers who were there. Uh, they could easily have threatened him. He knew how powerful, uh, the, what the power of evil is. But uh, however great the power of the devil is, uh, God's power is infinitely greater. I always like to remember the story of uh, the curé of Ars, St. John Vianney. And the devil used to do all sorts of things to him to try and keep him awake so that he'd be just too tired to hear the confessions and bring back all these great sinners to the church. Whenever, the, whenever he had all of these terrible things happen, his house used to shake and so on, he used to say, uh, old Grappin, he used to call him the old rake. Uh, that old rake, he said, he's at it again. He said, uh, he, you know, he always tells me, and then there's a big fish. 
and he'd go and say to his, go out to the square, you'll find a lady, a lady there, and she's wearing, uh, wearing this colored dress, bring it to me. It was a, a big fish, he used to call them, <laughs> great sinners. And he'd sometimes, like he would never have seen the lady or the man, he'd just say, go, go over there, you'll find him, tell him to come here. And, uh, Who one, would he say that to? Oh, he would say that to his assistants in the parish. He'd just say, just go, go grab that person over there. There was a, um, a journal, journalist came, it's not a sin to be a journalist, not always, but uh, there was a, uh, a journalist came to, just was curious and wanted to write probably a, maybe a, an, an article of mockery about um, St. John Vianney. And uh, the, journalist, uh, the, the journalist came and started to ask him questions. The curé said, no, hang on, curé means parish priest in, in France. I should mention him especially now because Pope Benedict is has, uh, just about to declare this coming year as a year, the International Year of the Priest. Uh, a year spe especially dedicated to the priests of the world, and he has uh, is appointing, uh, nominating Saint John Vianney as the patron saint of all priests. He's already the patron saint of parish priests, priests in parishes, but uh, he's going to make uh, Pope, Pope Benedict is going to make him patron saint of all priests throughout the world in this year of the priest. And I'm sure Lumen Verum is going to do some uh, uh, some very good talks on. Uh, the priesthood and supporting priests and so on. That's all a bit of a, an aside. Let me get back to my other aside in case I don't get distracted on the third. Right? Let me get back to the second <laughs> aside, which was that the curé of ours was hearing this confession of this, was uh, seeing this journalist and the journalist wanted to ask him some tricky questions to try and trap him out. And the curé said, well, hang on, wait, kneel down because I'm going to hear your confession. And this uh, journalist said, but what if I don't want to make my confession to you? I didn't come here to go to confession. And the curé had the secret, near the secret of hearts, he said, very well then, if you're not going to tell me your confession, I will tell you. And so he started <laughs> now uh, naming all of his sins. He'd done this, and this, and this, and this. And, uh, and the journalist was absolutely devastated. And uh, that was the one thing holding him back from going to confession was the humiliation of it all. He uh, he just broke down and cried. The curate told him, "You've got to give up this job, and your role is to become a, uh, I think, a Cistercian monk." In silence, he was a journalist. The man did, and he and he lived for I think another sixty years and died in the odor of sanctity. Amazing. So let me get back to my first distraction so that I don't get too far off the topic. The curé of ours one time, because we were back to the devil, uh, the curé of ours one time, his, uh, he was hearing the confession of a man inside the house uh, and, um, and the man was kneeling down, the curé was sitting down and, uh, and then as this man was starting to, to starting with his confession, the house started to rock. The house started to shake like there was an earthquake or something like that. The fellow was terrified and he started to get up and the curate just pushed him down again. He said, don't worry, it's only the devil. <laughs> so, here we are. So, um, brother... Bartolo, Blessed Bartolo had now become, uh, by 1871, had become a third order Dominican. It's like associated with the Dominicans. Uh, St. Catherine of Siena was a third order Dominican as well. And, uh, and he started to speak to, um, uh, to people. He called himself uh, Fratel Rosario, or Brother Rosary. And, uh, and he, he saw that the people, he said this, their religion in Pompeii was a mixture of superstition and popular tradition. And for their every need, even their basest desires, they would go to a witch or a sorceress in order to obtain charms and witchcraft. And so he was, because he knew what it was really about, we might sort of laugh about that and say, oh well, you know, 
this lady's trusting in, or this man is trusting in, in their silly things, and you know, if it gives them some comfort. But he knew, he knew really who was behind uh, all of these things of mediums and witches and so on. And he saw there was a severe lack of catechesis. Remember, he himself had been brought up very well in the faith and had still fallen away. What about those who, who have been so badly prepared in the faith, who are so ignorant of their faith, that uh, they're, they're lost even before it starts, even before the game starts? In fact, that's why groups such as Lim and Verum are here, and there's some free advertising for them, that uh, that's why Lim and Verum is here is precisely to catechise, and it's not only for the people here sitting in front of us, but for those that you speak to, and uh, and, the, and for your own knowledge, and the more, the closer you are, if you want to bring people back to our Lord, you've got to be close to our Lord yourself, and that's why we have talks on prayer and devotional things as well. Now, he found such a severe lack of catechesis, you're not going to believe this, I know you think you've heard every catechetical disaster story, he once asked a man, is there only one God? This is Bartolo, who had, after his conversion, he said to a man, can you tell me, is there, is there only one God? You know what the man said? He said, well, when I was a child, people used to tell me that there were three gods, but uh, now after many years, I don't know if one of them is dead and, or if one of them, or one of them is married. <laughs> Yeah. Now, I'm not going to tell you what school he went to, but, um, <laughs> yeah, so you can see that, I mean, that's just a devastating lack of knowledge of the faith. And so there's, there was a great apostolate at the time, this time of great anti-clericalism. Now, um, what we uh, what we learn of Vatala uh, uh, Longo, like we're seeing in... Well, especially in Europe today, but uh, also in the United States and, and very much in Australia, is this what we call is we might call this radical secularism. This insistence that we are to we are not to teach or uh, or preach in any way that involves God. That uh, and so uh, and so what uh, Bartolo Longo told this group of criminologists. He said, you, what have you done by taking Christ out of the schools? You've produced enemies of social order. Because without God, everything is permissible. You produce subversiveness. And on the contrary, what have we gained by putting Christ into the schools of the children of criminals? <coughs> we have transformed these, mis these unfortunate ones into honest and virtuous young people that you wanted to abandon to their sad fate or toss into insane asylums. And if you don't have a complete picture of man, it is impossible to educate properly. You think of an example, well, a very common example of psychological problems, mental health problems. If you treat the person who's got a mental health problem as if he didn't have free will, you don't necessarily deny he's got free will, but if you treat him as if he didn't have free will, then you're treating him like an animal. If you treat him only as if it's a purely medical condition, when there is, um, when there is, as if there were no freedom involved at all, he's resigned to his fate. Fatalism. Same thing if you educate your children, if you teach them in schools. Imagine if you, where we teach all the religions, comparative religion, and we teach it as if all religions are well. We're going to treat them all. We're going to look at all religions but from the outside. What have you taught them? You've taught them the religion of indifferentism. And uh, imagine if you'd said, well, we're going to teach morals to our children. We're going to teach ethics. To well, no, we're not. What we'll do is we'll teach a whole series of ethical systems. This ethical system says that there's, there's a God. And ultimately, if you do good, you'll be rewarded by him. And if you do evil, ultimately you'll be rejecting him forever. Ah, but this system says that, no, well, it's all just agreed by man, and, and if today we agree that it's morally permissible for uh, homosexuals to get married, then, then the only sin is to say, is to be judgmental. 
about that. Well, you're betraying, you're betraying the people that you're educating. Now, Bartolo, because he had been there, because he had been well educated, and because he had fallen away and come back again, sometimes uh, the people who have fallen into, into terrible sins and come back are better prepared and better equipped, better able to, access, to get access to people that someone who's led a very devout life would never, never even know, would never be able to, to touch. And, uh, and it makes them more aware of the dangers and it also, also makes them more aware of the solutions. He'd, he'd come back from the dead, so to speak. Spiritually, he was dead. He, he said that um, in his last will and testament, he said, I wish to die a true Dominican tertiary, that's the third order, in the arms of the Queen of the Rosary with the assistance of my Holy Father, St. Dominic, and of my mother, St. Catherine of Siena. Isn't that beautiful? Such devotion to the Dominicans, devotion to the Rosary as well. Not the, exactly the last will and testament of the satanic priest, is it? Expect. He completely renounced. You know, he said, Rosary in hand, uh, he says to each of us, Awaken your confidence in the most blessed virgin of the Rosary. Venerable Holy Mother, in you I rest all my troubles, all my trust, and all my hope. So, once again, that message of trust. Awaken your confidence in the most blessed Virgin of the Rosary. Venerable Holy Mother, in you I rest all my troubles, all my trust, and all my hope. Now, Pope uh, John Paul uh, said in this encyclical on the Rosary, because uh, so, he saw, he mentioned in 2002, some people, have, uh, the, the only thing that we remember perhaps from this encyclical on the rosary is, is that there are five new mysteries, the, the mysteries of light or the luminous mysteries of the rosary. But uh, there's a lot more to it because uh, Pope John Paul saw that there was a, uh, a crisis, what he called a certain crisis in the praying of the rosary. And I think there has been something of a revival in the, in, in more recent years, and um, and of course when you when you read or hear these messages that uh, he who prays the rosary will certainly be saved. Uh, the important thing is is praying the rosary. It's not just saying it. Oh, it's not like some magic formula. Look, if I, as long as I rattle off my rosaries, uh, the way that people will will enemies of the church will sometimes mock in that way. Oh, you think that just as long as you say as many roses, then you can do what you like. Well, that's not the sense at all. And we all know that. That true prayer is directing us, is leading us to God. That's what prayer is, is raising the mind and the heart to God and asking good things from Him. And in praying the rosary, we meditate on the mysteries of our Lord's life and we do it with, in union with Mary. We ask her to pray for us. We, ask, we can ask one another to pray for each other. Think how many times uh, Bartolo must have prayed as a child. Uh, our Father who art in heaven, and forgive us our trespasses. Deliver us from evil. God delivered him from all evil in the end, didn't he? How many times did he pray, Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. And he prayed that so many times. Well, he might have forgotten, but she didn't. There was uh, another uh, uh, another example of the, uh, the, the from the curé of Ars. Uh, there was a lady whose husband had uh, uh, had uh, jumped off a bridge, committed suicide, and uh, and the curé of Ars said to uh, the widow who was very distressed. He said to her. She, uh, he said, your husband, madam, has been saved. Recall he lost the faith in he wasn't going to Mass or anything. She, she, he said, he, he made an act of repentance between the bridge and the water. Now, she, he, the curé said to her, recall how sometime before he died, 
he plucked the most beautiful flower from the garden and told you to take it to the altar of the Virgin Mary. Well, she didn't forget. So she obtained that grace of repentance, of conversion for him, just in the last moments. Now, Pope John Paul says that as a true apostle of the rosary, as a true apostle of the rosary, Blessed Bartolo Longo had a special charism. His path to holiness rested on an inspiration heard in the depths of his heart. Whoever spreads the rosary is saved. And as a result, he felt called to build a church dedicated to Our Lady of the Holy Rosary in Pompeii. Has anyone been to that, uh, that church, that basilica, Our Lady of the Rosary in Pompeii? No? Uh, of course, Pompeii, as you know, is... Uh, is an ancient city. It had only just heard the message of Christ in 79 AD when it was hit by a volcano. And you still see, uh, you can go there now and uh, see, see the ruins uh, where, uh, of, uh, from this eruption of Mount Vesuvius. And uh, it emerged from its ashes centuries later as a witness to the lights and shadows of classical civilization. You see people there, you see a mother with the baby still in arms, just covered in malted ash. To see a soldier standing at his post, faithful to his duty right to the end. So suddenly did they die. They're all petrified, aren't they? Yes. Yes, I think so. And, uh, and uh, by his whole life's work, and especially by the practice of the 15 Saturdays, Bartolo Longo promoted the Christocentric and contemplative heart of the rosary. What does that mean? Christ-centered. And that's what the rosary does, is it leads us to Christ. It's, uh, and, and so people say, oh, look, I, I want to go directly to God. We well, can. But why don't you get your friends to go directly to God? Oh, yeah, I will. Well, good. Well, what happens if your friends take you directly to God? Is that good too? Yes. So your friends should help you on the way to God? Yeah, what? How? Well, by teaching, by their prayer, by their example. Well, that's exactly what Our Lady does. By her prayer and her example. He promoted the Christocentric and contemplative heart of the rosary. So to recognize the rosary as a prayer of contemplation begins, of course, with the creed, well, with the sign of the cross. And that uh, as we make that sign of the cross, we profess our faith in the Blessed Trinity as well. And firmly I believe and truly God is three and God is one. And then, and I next acknowledge duly manhood taken by the Son. And because of that manhood, uh, his human body was the means by which he carried us on the chariot to heaven through his death and uh, resurrection. And so, uh, and then of, of course we, we have the creed. Uh, to begin the rosary, we profess our faith in union with the church throughout the world, throughout the centuries as well, in heaven and on earth. And uh, and then and then we have we have the prayers, the Our Father and the Hail Mary, as we contemplate the mysteries of the rosary. Now, the Our Father, someone pointed out to me, is a prayer only for this world. When you get to heaven, you won't be praying the Our Father. Do you ever think about that? Well, you're not going to be praying, deliver us from evil when you're in heaven. You're not going to be saying, Lord, forgive us our trespasses. They're already forgiven. And uh, give us this day. You might be able to pray some of the Our Father, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You can say that. But uh, you won't be praying. And same with the Hail Mary. That's a prayer for, for this world. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners. Well, in heaven you won't be a sinner anymore. You'll be repentant. You'll be you'll be saved. You'll be a saint. Only saints in heaven you may not be canonized, but uh, you'll be a saint, or else you won't get there. And uh, Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Well, that's a prayer for this life, isn't it? But the glory be, yes. The glory be, you can pray in heaven and pray for all eternity. We read people sometimes complain about repetitive prayer. Well, in the, uh, the book of Revelation, we read of the angels who do nothing all day but pray, holy, holy, holy. 
Holy is the Lamb of God. Holy is the one. They pray repetitively. It's not mindless repetition. It's the prayer of one who's in love, in awe, continuing. Now, continuing to, to love and to express his love. And so, says Pope John Paul, we're thereby, uh, through the rosary, we're able to, enabled to enter naturally into Christ's life and as it, were to, as it were to share his deepest feelings. And that's what we do when we, we think of the various mysteries of the rosary, of our Lord being lost in the temple or walking on the way to Calvary. Um, and in this regard, Blessed Bartolo Longa has written that just as two friends frequently in each other's company, they tend to develop similar habits, so too by holding familiar con converse with Jesus and the Blessed Virgin, by meditating on the mysteries of the rosary and by living the same life in holy communion, we can become, to the extent of our, our lowliness, we can become similar to them. And we can learn from them supreme models, from them supreme models, a life of humility, poverty, hiddenness, patience and perfection. A couple of things he says there, just the two friends frequently in each other's company tend to develop similar habits. See, Bartolo Longo knew the value of true friendship and the danger of false friends. Those false friends, the bad influences that he had as a young man, that's what led him astray. It wasn't his family. It was the, the bad influences that he got involved in. So make sure that your friends, your children's friends, especially if you have young children, or people who are easily influenced, what do people speak about all the day, all the time, peer pressure, it's very true. Make sure that your, your children's close friends are good ones. Doesn't mean that they don't know anyone else, but at least that their close friends are good ones. Now, by meditating on the mysteries of the rosary, uh, we can become to the extent of our lowliness. Uh, humility is the very foundation of the spiritual life. It's the foundation. Without that, it all crumbles. You're yeah, building on the shifting sand. St. Augustine said there are three things required for uh, the spiritual life. The first is humility. The second is humility. And the third is humility. Mm -hmm. Now, humility is not turning yourself into a doormat. Sometimes that's a sign of pride, to try and belittle yourself among people who, who think well of you so that they will contradict you. Uh, humility is simply recognising the gifts that you have, that are gifts from God, not exaggerating them, not diminishing them either, and not denying them, but recognising that they are gifts from God. It's not built on some sort of exaggerated self-esteem. They're built on gifts from God. The rosary is both meditation and supplication. And meditation means that chewing over and stewing over and thinking about the mysteries and thinking about the truths of Christ's life. And supplication, which is asking God. Insistent prayer to the Mother of God, says Pope John Paul, is based on confidence that her maternal intercession can obtain all things from the heart of her son. In fact, Bartolo Longo said that she is all-powerful by grace. God is all-powerful by nature. He can do all things. And she is all-powerful by grace, to use that bold expression. But it needs to be properly understood. Uh, Our Lady, uh, when we say that she's all-powerful, well, that's according to the power that God allows her to have, of course. She is not God. That is not trying to equate her with, with God. It's a, more of a devotional expression. And then uh, they mentioned the beads of the rosary. As Pope John Paul goes through, speaks about the beads of the rosary and pausing after you announce the mystery and, uh, and singing the glory be. He, he gives a few suggestions for praying the rosary. And, and he says, as a counting mechanism, marking the progress of the prayer, that's what the beads are for, of course. The beads evoke the unending path of contemplation and of Christian perfection. And so we, the important thing in the spiritual life is that we don't rest on our laurels and say, well, look, I'm there now, I'm fine, I'm doing all right. Uh, because we can tend to do that. I can tell, tend to say to God, well, Lord, I'm, 
I'm doing pretty well, thanks very much. If I need you, I'll let you know. I'll, get, I'll be in touch. It's true. We can do that. And uh, we'll go to our prayer and have, 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 tell God everything right. Okay, your time is finished now. Goodbye, God. End of appointment. I'll see you tomorrow. Well, we can we can deal with God like he's like he's our patient, <laughs> and uh, uh, instead of really trusting in Him, blessed Bartolo said the way of Christian contemplation is like a continuous chain, a chain leading us up to heaven. There's no end to the spiritual life. There's no limit to the amount of charity that you can have. And in fact, one holy communion is enough to make you a very great saint. But it doesn't happen because uh, because we put obstacles in the way. But in itself, Holy Communion has that power. It's a chain, the chains of the rosary, yes, but a sweet chain. For sweet indeed is the bond to God who is also our Father. The chain that chains us to God. A filial chain, that means a childlike chain, which puts us in tune with Mary, the handmaid of the Lord, and most of all with Christ himself who made himself a servant out of love for us. And then um, Pope uh, uh, John Paul, at the uh, uh, the end of his encyclical, or the apostolic letter, he says, I entrust this apostolic letter to the loving hands of the Virgin Mary, prostrating myself in spirit before her image, in the splendid shrine built for her by Blessed Bartolo Longo, the Apostle of the Rosary. Bartolo Longo, by the way, uh, there were accusations uh, as as he went on. He he was doing this uh, good charitable work, which we've mentioned, alongside uh, a widow, uh, a lady who was. Um, uh, if I have it here, yeah, they formed this uh, school, or it's really like a city. He built so many buildings. Uh, the City of Charity, also known as the City of Mary. And uh, uh, and the, uh, the trade school was put in charge of under the direction of the brothers of the Christian schools, who we would know as the Christian... No, not the Christian brothers, the De La Salle brothers, we know them as in Australia. CFC, it's a French order. And um, uh, the, the words um, CFC come to brothers for the Christian schools in, uh, in French. And uh, anyway, uh, Bartholomew and Mariana, there was a widowed countess of Fusco. They constructed other charitable institutions. And because they worked together so much, gossip started to develop that they were romantically involved, which they weren't. And to prevent their good work from being tainted by this talk, they got married, but they lived uh, together chastely in keeping with private vows that they would not, uh, they would not exercise their marital rights. And um, uh, and the Pope Leo the Thirteenth, who's known as the Apostle of the Rosary, Blessed Pope Pius the Ninth, Pius the Tenth, they all knew Blessed Bartolo personally, and uh, recommended his work. And uh, in 1927, I think it was his, uh, 1906, uh, it may be 1927 it was, that uh, uh, 26 he was buried in the crypt of the Rosary, Rosary Basilica and I think shortly afterwards that was, oh yeah, that, that had been made a basilica, which is a, a great place of pilgrimage. And today there are 10,000 pilgrims a day go to that. So. And he effectively, in the early years, effectively wiped out Satanism in, uh, in, in the whole area, whole area of Naples. We, we have here uh, Pope John Paul's words, uh, I willingly make my own... And so Pope John Paul also studied uh, about Blessed Bartolo long before he became Pope. And, uh, and, and Pope Benedict too has also quoted from him a few times, yeah. I willingly make my own the touching words with which he concluded, which with um, Blessed Bartolo concluded his uh, supplication to the Queen of the Holy Rosary. O Blessed Rosary of Mary, sweet chain, which unites us to God, bond of love which unites us to the angels, the Rosary, the tower of salvation against the assaults of hell, and he had experienced that, the safe port in our universal shipwreck, we will never abandon you.
He said to the blessed, blessed Rosary of Mary, You will be our comfort in the hour of death. And what a great comfort it was for him in the hour of death. So we'll see in a minute. Yours is our final kiss as life ebbs away. Beautiful. And the last word from our lips will be your sweet name, O Queen of the Rosary of Pompeii, O dearest Mother, O Refuge of Sinners, O Sovereign Consoler of the Afflicted. May you be everywhere blessed today and always, on earth and in heaven. That was in October 2002. Here we are in May 2009, and May being the month of Mary, we thought it was very fitting to give a talk on one of her... her uh, great apostles, great modern apostles. But, uh, I wanted to finish off by telling you how Blessed Bartolo died, his dying words. He was about to die in 1926 and he was surrounded by the orphans who he himself had educated and, and helped to make a, make a go of their lives and who knows what happened to them. Some of them uh, might even still be alive today, 1926, possible. And um, and he said, and the, and the orphans were around his bedside praying the rosary. And um, Bartolo Longo, Fratello Rosario, former satanic priest, and now the apostle of the rosary, he said, My only desire is to see Mary, who has saved me and will save me from the clutches of Satan. So, in my view, it's a great story of great hope and encouragement for us all, for those of us who ourselves are struggling with various sins, and for those who are, I didn't mean especially to look at you, Arlette, when I said that, and for those who are, are who are struggling with uh, various sins, and for those who we know, who we think are just so far gone that there is just no hope, and uh, because there is, there, there are always hope in God. As the curé of ours said, our sins are like a grain of sand beside the infinite mountain of the mercies of God. All right, you have been listening to a Lumen Verum Apologetics Lecture by Anthony English. For more Lumen Verum Apologetics Lectures, visit cradio.org.au